Well, it's been a joy to be here this whole weekend. What a blessing it's been. You had a wonderful creation conference. Your congregation has welcomed Frank Sherwin and myself very well, and we've just loved being here. Pastor Hughes, thank you so much for the invitation to be here. You know, we were students at Moody at the same time. We may not have known each other, but there's a chance that um, we were in a homiletics class or something, and you were probably critiquing my sermon back in 1981 or something like that. Uh, and things haven't changed probably at all there. So I'll be looking to see what you say at the end of the message here for that. Well, today's message, you know it's going to be science-oriented because we're doing the Creation Conference this week. And you heard that I was a medical doctor. So any time, usually a medical doctor shows up in church... There's really one thing that people really want more than anything else, and that is free medical advice. You know, everybody, everybody wants a little bit of free medical advice. So here's my medical advice to you. Don't die. You know, that is, a, don't die because when you do, I can guarantee you it's, it's, it's over. So let's take this good brother here in the front who told me don't sit in that seat because that was his, his, his assigned pew seat. Um, you see, I, I always get the last word on this. But let's just say, let's just make believe, let's, let's do some training here. Let's say he suddenly clutched his chest with this terrible look of pain on his face. And as he's clutching his chest, he falls into the aisle. Everyone here would think he's having what? Heart attack, that's right. So we would have to do CPR, and, the, and one of us would jump out and start to do chest compressions, and then we would draw straws to see who would do mouth-to-mouth, and uh, <laughs> so the, the loser goes, and, uh, and I think, Pastor, you got the short straw there, but um, so we're, we're doing it, we're doing it, and no, no, no help. We, the ambulance comes, they scoop them up, they take you to the hospital, we put lines in you, we, we inject you full of drugs with these, like a turkey baster, doesn't work, you know, it's not working. We pull out the paddles, we shock you, we shock you, we shock you till you smoke. It's not, it's, it's, it's over. I mean, why has your wife got this big smile on her face? I mean, this is like, uh, it's a, that's a, amazing, I'm a great insurance policy or something or... Um, you know, inside it's like free at last, free at last. Oh, well, I bring that up, and it's it's we can choke or laugh about it. But do you want to know one thing? Something that is an absolute scientific fact: dead people don't come back to life. Scientists agree with that. That's a scientific fact. That's a real scientific fact. And here's another scientific fact that all the scientists agree on. Evolutionists, creationists, virgins don't give birth. Virgins don't give birth and dead people don't come back to life. But if I were to ask you in this congregation today, how many of you believe that in spite of what the scientists say, how many of you believe that at least one time a dead person did come back to life and was raised again from the dead? Of course. And how many of you believe that at least one time a virgin did give birth? You did. Of course. So this is, this is interesting. 
in spite of what the scientists tell you are true, you're going to say, I don't care what the scientists say. I'm going to believe the scripture. I'm going to believe what the scriptures tell me. And that is true in most of the churches that I go to. However, there are some churches that I go to if I ask the question, how many of you believe that God spoke this universe into existence by his great power relatively recently, as the scriptures said, in six real 24-hour days, just as it is declared in the scriptures, sometimes less than half of the hands will go up. And if I ask them, well, well, why don't you believe that? Why don't you believe that? Well, they say, well, the scientists tell us. The scientists tell us that the universe is 13.5 billion years old. The scientists tell us that man evolved from an ape-like ancestor over a long, long period of time. The scientists tell us that. And suddenly, you're willing to put the scriptures, they are, below what scientists say on something that is really, really pretty clear in the scriptures and on something in which the science really doesn't tell us very definitively those things. And yet when it comes to things that science is really pretty, pretty solid on, that dead people don't come back to life, that's a pretty solid scientific fact, and virgins don't give birth, whoa, where did that come from? That, uh, that's a pretty solid scientific fact. We're willing to just disregard what the scientists say. May I suggest that we should be consistent with the scriptures all the time, regardless of what the scientists say, because we have a God revealed in the scripture who is able to do the supernatural. In fact, he is so able to do the supernatural that the supernatural is totally natural to him. It's totally natural to him. And what's nice about this church here is I can actually jump ahead in the sermon because you and I basically are in agreement on this, it looks like. But there is one really, really important reason why we should hold to the doctrine of creation, that there is a creator God, if for no other reason than this doctrine of creation is the foundation for the very doctrine of God itself. It is the basis for the very doctrine of God. You, just a few moments ago, Pastor Hughes read from Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. And all of Revelation chapter 4, is, if he would have taken the time to read it, holds forth the fact that God is the creator of all things. This is the definition of God. Or even more precisely, if this is a little easier to understand, the creator of all things is God. That's how we know who God is. It's, it's, it's certainly a position of authority, but it's really a position of rank. I was in the military, and I know a little bit about rank. This is saying that God is the highest authority, and we know he's the highest authority because he spoke everything into existence. He brought everything into existence. He's the maker of everything, and everything is beholding to him. Everything depends on him. And he is never frustrated by anything. That's because all of these things are true because he's the creator of all things. And this is consistent from Genesis to Revelation, all the way across in the scriptures. And it's repeated over and over and over. So often it's, it's kind of hard that so many people miss it in so many churches. So if you have your Bible with you today, please open with me to just a few passages 
I'd like to just read a couple of those before we jump into some scientific things. A few passages which certainly refer to the fact that the creator of all things is God. So here's a, here's a passage. Turn to one that's not really referenced all the time. In First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 16. First Chronicles chapter 16. And we'll start about verse uh, 23. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 23. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. Now that's interesting. All those gods of the people are idols. So how do you how do you know you're not worshiping an idol? How do you know that you have the true God? Well, the next phrase makes it very clear. But the Lord made the heavens. Hmm. Pretty definitive distinction between idols and the true God. The one who made all things and the idols who like to take credit for making all things. And because he is the one who made all things, glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindred of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Wow. That's what he's due because he is the creator, the great creator. In the book of Nehemiah, book of Nehemiah, that's another wonderful book right there. Nehemiah chapter 9. Verse 6. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is, this is actually a petition. It's in the middle of a prayer, and it's, it's a glorious prayer. And, and Nehemiah is actually turning to the Lord for help. And let's actually begin with verse 5. If you look at verse 5, you'll see all of those names that are a little hard to pronounce, something like mine. And skim through those names, and you'll see where it says, Stand up. Stand up. Nehemiah says, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Well, why should we stand up? Why should we exalt him? He says in verse 6, you, even you, are Lord alone. Well, how do we know that? You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all of their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the sea and all that is therein, and you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. Wow, isn't that glorious? He makes all things. He's spoken into existence. All of creation worships him. The host of heaven, speaking of the angelic host, with all of their power and all of their glory, they stand up and they worship him. Now, why do, why do we stand up? You know, when I was in the military and the commander would step onto the deck of the ship, I was in the Navy for 10 years and then in the Air Force, or the wing commander would come in, all of the room would stand up and then someone would say, what? Attention on deck. And the entire room would stand up and pop to attention. Why do we do that? It's an act of what? Respect. It's an act of honor for this person's position. And that's what, that's what he's saying here with the Lord. We stand up. 
We honor him for who he is because of his high and exalted position of which there is no higher exalted position. That's a really pretty high rank. And then, of course, in the book of Isaiah, a wonderful passage in Isaiah, chapter 40. No message on the Lord as creator would be complete without one from there. Isaiah chapter 40, down around verse 25. The Lord says this, To whom then... This is a, a kind of a rhetorical question because the answer should be obvious. To whom then will you liken me or, or shall I be equal, says the Holy One. And who, who's going to be equal to me? Let's see if they can be equal to me. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and behold who has created these things that brings out their host by number. He's talking about all of the stars. The Lord created the stars. He numbers the stars. And then it says, he calls them all by their names and by the greatness of his might. For he is strong in power and not one fails. Wow, what a, what a tremendous display of his greatness and his power. He says, you look up, you look at all those stars. Not only have I numbered all of the stars, I have named all of the stars. You know, he, he named the stars before any of those companies which come around around Christmas time and want you to buy for your sweetheart a name for a star. Have you heard that advertised on, on television? You can pay and you can buy and you can name a star after your sweetheart. Let me suggest that's a bad idea. You know, if, if that's all your sweetheart found under the tree was that you named a star after her, you would be seeing stars. I mean, that... <laughs> That's, that's probably not a good idea, and it's likely you're not going to get the right name anyway on that. You know, a general with five stars on his shoulder, that's a pretty high rank. How many stars does God have on his shoulder? All of them. This is an awesome high rank. And even amongst the saints, sometimes we forget just how high, holy, and powerful he really is because he is the creator. This is the very basis, brothers and sisters, for the doctrine of God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and what? The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. That's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ as our creator. How do we know he is God? Because he is the creator of all things and he is the giver of life. So if you are sitting here today and you are enjoying physical life and all of you are, you're questionable, but all of you are, you owe a debt of gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave you that physical life. If you are sitting here today and you are possessing eternal life you owe a debt of gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave you that eternal life all life resides in Jesus Christ all life Jesus is the life giver and if you are here today and you do not know that you have eternal life all of us would say this 
Come to Christ and he will give you life. And that is an assurance. Jesus is the life giver because he is the creator of life. And this is why the doctrine of creation is so important. We cannot let go of this doctrine regardless of what you hear on television, regardless of what is being taught in the secular universities, regardless of what is being taught anywhere, because the moment we do, we are committing spiritual suicide. You might as well take a knife and plunge it into your spiritual belly and slit it open and let your guts pour out. Because it is the first step towards atheism. And it is and always will be. And you may not see it in your lifetime, but your children or your grandchildren will see it. The doctrine of creation is, is not a trivial issue. It is the fundamental, foundational doctrine of all of Scripture because it lays the basis for the very doctrine of God himself. And that's why it's so important. And God... In Romans chapter 1 says he has revealed his great power and his glory to us. He's, he's made it known unto us. And so this leads to a really important scientific thought or scientific question or even a hypothesis. And here's a great hypothesis as you see it up on the screen. Worship should be the normal response to science. Worship should be the good response to singing and great preaching but what about science? I would suggest that worship is the normal, it's the expected response towards science. And of course, here's a good verse to back it up. David said, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you have said that? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, I'll praise you. And it's true. And this is the whole verse. He says, I will praise you, praise you. Because I am fearfully, wonderfully made, and that my soul knows greatly. So for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk about nothing but science. Nothing but science. And let's see if at the end of 20 minutes, science and the things that are revealed lead you to want to just say, praise the Lord. Boy, we have a great and incredible God. And I'd like to talk about just one thing. Why you are different from that which is in the world around you. Because what you're going to see on Nova is that you were becoming human. That there was a time when you need to become human by six million simple steps. You know, this is what it says. Six million simple steps. The first is, you know, get out of tree. Second, grow big brain. That's not so simple. Some of us have been working on that for a long time. And then finally, flee animals. And that you were not created human, but you want you to see how they became us and that you were becoming human. Wow, the scriptures couldn't offer anything in much bigger contrast. In fact, the human body, the one that you look at in the mirror, is really incredibly complex in capabilities, magnitude, speed, and performance, which doesn't really get talked about that much. But as you see how good your body is, it's really to lead you to see how great and incredible your creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. Now, we could talk about a lot of things about that, but what we're going to say is certainly in contrast with what you will get from secular literature. Look at this article. This is a scientific article. Look how this article begins up on the screen. The human body is indeed one of the most mysterious and best put-together constructs in all the world. 
Wow, do they see the great design who wrote this? Yes. But look at the next word. The next word is what? But. But. You always have to watch what comes after a but. You know? And this is a, this is a big but right here. But. But. Its amazing complexity and functions must not lead people to believe it is the work of a higher power. You know what that's saying? That's saying your natural tendency and that of everybody here who sees great design and attributes it to a great designer, regardless of what you see, they, want, they don't want you to attribute that to a great designer. I'm here to say that it's, it, it will point to a great designer. So let's just look at one thing, your hand. So you can put your hand up. It's a great little object lesson. You can put it in your face. You can move your fingers around. You can put them together. You can do all kinds of stuff. Don't, brothers, don't stick it over your sister's face. But whatever you do, you can use that. And relative to animals, humans have a great capacity of things that we can do with our hand. I don't know if there's a professional baseball team in Montana. I don't believe there is on that. But if there was... A professional baseball player would be throwing a fastball about 90-some miles an hour. Is that not true? If you could take and surgically remove the fastball pitcher's arm and somehow surgically attach it to a chimpanzee, the chimpanzee would never be able to throw a 90-mile-per-hour fastball regardless of the fact that they had a pitcher's arm because they don't have the brain power to control the arm. They don't have a brain power to control the things in the wrist or the things in all of your fingers. You need all of those things integrated together, not just your hand, not just the muscles, but everything working together. So this is what your hand looks like from a medical textbook. If we could peel the skin back, you would see on your hand all different kinds of muscles and tendons, and you would see incredible design there. Because as you were forming in your mother's womb, a tiny little bit of muscle tissue would have gone to your forearm and with just the right amount of information, it would have subdivided into 19 different muscles that can be used to move your fingers through all of those tendons. And another little bit of muscle tissue would have formed and gone up to your hand, and it would have subdivided into 22 different muscles in your hand, giving you incredible performance. Seven muscles dedicated to moving just your index finger, five muscles for your thumb, and even your little pinky finger has three muscles dedicated to doing nothing but moving your little pinky finger around. And look at the design on those tendons. It goes from superficial to deeper and deeper and closer to the bone as you get there towards the little pinky finger. And you'll see tendons go right up towards the bone. And what's interesting about the middle bone, which is right here, this tendon splits in two, so the tendon to the tip of your finger goes shooting right through it. You need that to keep all of the tendons close to your hand. You see just incredible design on your hand. And it gives you a lot of performance, including the power grip. Now, the average man can grip about 150 pounds of force. Some of us a lot more than that, but that's what the average guy can do on that. And as you grip those things and you hold things, your brain, totally unconsciously to you, is manipulating things as I'm holding this little clicker here as it wants to twist and turn on all of its axes and fall out of the hand and yet I can do it talking along and my hand just holds this perfectly balanced and I grip it on that and as you use your hand and you use those your brain is consciously manipulating all of those muscles in your fingers so that if you need to you can actually reach down with one hand grab a paint can 
Snatch up the paintbrush with your thumb, grab the little paint rag with your little pinky finger, hold all of those things, and you have such control over your hands that the other hand could reach down, pick up a sledgehammer, and yet maintain as much dexterity to pluck up a potato chip at the same time. Wow, that's just some incredible performance. And most of us could set that down, switch our hands, switch them, pick them up, and move them around, and your brain is controlling all of this just in your incredible human hand. Now, the power grip is really impressive, but what's even more impressive about humans is the micro grip. The micro grip is really controlled by a single muscle in your forearm with the fancy name, the flexor pollicis longus, or just the FPL. Now, what's really cool about this muscle is that you have so much brain power dedicated to that one muscle that individual muscle fibers, one at a time if necessary, can be activated to move just the very tip of your thumb. That's all this muscle does is move the tip of your thumb. And it is so precise and so finely graded that if necessary, your thumb can exert just seven one-hundredths of an ounce of force if necessary really, really fine. So if you have to have eye surgery, the eye surgeon can operate on your eye under a microscope, just barely holding the instruments, moving them around, take out a cataract, and stitch up your eye with suture finer than a human hair, because we have this great, incredible performance with just the tips of our thumb. And by the way, you're not going to hear this on Nova or National Geographic, monkeys, chimpanzees, orangutans, gorillas, They don't even have this muscle in their body. Humans have this muscle, which gives you this incredible performance to have the the fine micro grip. Well, we're able to move our fingers in really fine ways. As you pick them up, you can move them around and you can do this. And as I'm even holding the clicker in my hand, my brain is monitoring things. But what's really cool is the muscles in my arm are actually monitoring things. They're monitoring the tension in all of the tendons going from my arm to my forehand, and they're analyzing the tension in those. And believe it or not, the muscles themselves, muscle cells, are actually performing mathematical calculations at the level of differential equations and they are constantly monitoring the tension and they are turning little switches in the muscles on and off, on and off very, very rapidly so that you maintain just the right pressure of doing things when you need to do it. So that if need be, if you need to use your hand like a hydraulic ram, you can do it. Sometimes I crush things with just my hand using a hydraulic ram. And sometimes I leap straight up and grab the basketball rim. And when I do that, my fingers act like little springs and the muscles twitch really, really fast in doing that. At other times, I pick up a big old hammer and I drive a nail in with one mighty blow. And the vibration goes up the handle of the hammer and into my arm and the muscles twitch really, really fast and they completely dampen that vibration. All subconsciously, not in your brain, but in the muscle fibers themselves. Now that is really pretty cool. So not only do we have that ability, we're able to pick things up. Do you realize the the motion, just to pick up a coffee cup, which, oh, by the way, look what it says. 
Moody Bible Institute. How opportune there are three mutually exclusive motions. You have to move towards it. You have to stop, pinch, and pick. You can't do all of those things at once, and your body is going to have separate computer programs for all of those things. And as you move towards that cup, your body is going to download one program and upload the other program in 60 milliseconds. 60 milliseconds is one-sixth of the time it takes you to blink your eye. And it holds off swapping out those programs until just 60 milliseconds right before contact. And then whoosh, 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 swaps all the programs so that you can pick that cup up without spilling it over. Now, don't you wish your computer could swap out programs like that or boot up anything near that fast? And your brain does that so you can almost so totally subconsciously do things. You can pick up an egg, squeeze it with 10 to 15 pounds of force, and the instant you start to feel it crack, stop your fingers, which is in the thickness of an eggshell, one one-hundredth of an inch, and the moment you sense it, it goes to your brain, comes back to your fingers, is as fast as it could possibly happen. It happens as a totally optimized system in your hands for doing something just like that. Wow! That is incredible, incredible performance. Now, I think it belongs to a designer, but this paper up here on the screen is going to give you the secular explanation. This is a paper written by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Now, how many of you were reading that before church this morning? You know, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. How many of you would like to read that? Come on, let's see a little few hands of a couple tough people here. Well, the thing is, we are going to read a little bit from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. This, this is church, and we need to expand our horizons a little bit here today. And I would like you, with your own eyes, to read the explanation which is published in the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. I would like you to read the explanation for all the things I just discussed from the paper. And this is what the paper says. This analysis of protein transport provides a blueprint for the evolution of cellular machinery in general. All of this. Okay, what is this blueprint that they're describing? And this is what they say, quote, We proposed that simple core machines were established. Additional modules would have been, wait, stop right there. They're proposing that all the little machinery I was talking about in your arms, these, what kind of core machines? They called them simple, and there's nothing simple about them. These core machines were what? Established. Established. Wait a second here. What does that mean? They were established. Think about that. How were they established? Did someone just say, hocus pocus? Did someone say, voila? How were they established? I mean, where did they come from? You know what established is, brothers and sisters? That is a magical word. A magical word which is skipping over all kinds of unknown data. So these, these simple core machines were established. And then it says, additional modules would have been added to, wait a second here, where did the additional modules come from? 
That's a great question. Where did the additional modules come from? Additional modules would have been added to the core machines to enhance their function. Quote, the pieces were involved in some other different function. They were recruited and acquired a new function. Well, how convenient. They were just recruited and acquired additional function. This model agrees with Jacob's proposition of evolution as a tinkerer, building new machines from salvaged parts. All of these things are built with salvaged parts that were recruited and acquired a new function? Hmm. This paper goes on to talk about it, and it says this. The necessary pieces for one particular cellular machine were lying around long ago. Lying around? It was simply a matter of time before they came together into a more complex entity. This is, brothers and sisters, this is a scientific paper that's explaining this to you. Michael Gray, cell biologist of Dalhousie University states, you look at cellular machines and say, why on earth would biology do anything like this? It's too bizarre. But when you think about it in a neutral evolutionary fashion, in, in which these machineries emerge before, wait a second here, the machineries what? Emerge? You know what emerges? Emerges a magical word. The machineries emerge. The machineries emerge before there's a need for them. Then it makes sense. <laughs> hmm. You know why we read this paper? Because I know the vast majority of you never read the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, but there is a good fraction of you who are wondering, is there something really out there? Is there something in the secular literature? Is there something that maybe possibly could explain things scientifically different from the scriptures? And we had to read it in church today because I wanted you to read the explanations with your own eyes, which are published in one of the leading scientific journals of the United States to see just how shallow, shallow these scientific explanations are, brothers and sisters. And this is as good as it gets. No need for you to worry. No need for you to worry that there is something out there. But if you want to explain this to your friends, if you want to take something about your hand and talk to them and use it as a witnessing tool, this little booklet is out there. If you're not interested, that's fine. But if you really want to talk about these things, I'd encourage you to pick this booklet up. Everything I'm telling you about the hand is in it and some studies on other things that you can share with your friends. And if you want to frame them in the design argument, just as the scripture says, this little booklet will take you through step by step by step in an evangelistic way on how you can share the design of the Lord with your friends. I'd encourage you to avail yourselves of those if you're interested in doing that. All right, let's move back to the hand. Not only do our hands have grip and fine finger movement, but their fingers can really move pretty fast. And the speed at which your fingers move is much faster than it even takes to make a decision. For instance, if I were to ask you chocolate or ice cream or vanilla, it might take a half a second. But a half a second is really a long time. A half a second is how long it would have taken that forklift driver to hit his brakes when he realized there's no truck there to get this bomb I'm carrying. <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's kind of important. A half a second is how long it would have taken this gal to hit her brakes 
when she realized there's an easier way to get on that boat. In a half a second is how long it would have taken this guy to hit his brakes when he realized that's not the shortcut to the lake that I was anticipating right there. Wow, if you look really careful, he's still in the cab of the boat on that. And someone looks like they're going to come by and unhitch the boat. A half a second is really a long time. Well, these young men in the Depression are learning how to type, and your brain is going to put together a forward plan, which becomes the basis for all of their skilled learning. And the forward plan is going to teach them when, where, and how they have to move all of their fingers, the duration, the speed, the pressure, all of those things your brain is developing in a plan many, many steps before you ever move your fingers. And it does this so that you can move your fingers quite rapidly, and it becomes the basis for skilled learning as these young men are learning this new job of being a typist. There is, other, there is another inducer of skilled learning in this picture. That's the stick in this woman's hand right there. That also kind of helps them to pick up their skilled learning there. And I, I, she's, she's lost this job as being a typing instructor. She's now a flight attendant on planes, and so she gets you on there. But skilled finger movements are really fast because visually this typist will process eight characters in advance of where she wants to type. Her finger movements, she'll commit the plan to finger movements three characters in advance. Actually, the fastest time on the keystrokes we now know is one-sixth of the time it takes you to blink your eyes, 60 milliseconds. And amazingly, the fastest keystrokes are between fingers on opposing hands. And because you can make such an incredible forward plan, the world's fastest typist was able to type at, it was a gal, 165 words a minute, hitting speeds of over 210 words a minute for 60 minutes straight. And her brain is updating the plan after every single finger stroke. Now that is really some incredible performance that she has. Well, not only are typists fast, but pianists can play really, really fast too. A really skilled pianist can play 20 to 30 successive notes a second as low as 40 milliseconds apart, her brain is updating the plan after every single keystroke of every single finger movement. And amazingly, her brain is actually storing these plans, storing all of the plans. So a gal may have a plan for playing Amazing Grace in one style and Amazing Grace in another style and Amazing Grace in yet a third style. And as far as we know, there is no limit in your brain to how many of these plans you can store. You don't have a hard disk drive problem in your brain of running out of capacity. A few bad sectors here and there, but we don't have a hard disk problem. Your brain has just incredible capacity giving you really incredible performance. And you do things with your human hands that no animal on this planet could ever hope to do. Your hands excel in speed and precision. You're able to express yourself with your hands. In some churches I go to, there'll be a sign, a signer, a gal who's usually speaking in sign language, telling to deaf people everything that I'm saying. And as she moves her fingers, she's talking with her fingers. And it's like looking at poetry in motion as she is talking with her fingers and speaking with her hands. And that is something human beings are able to do. When you want to do something and you want to exercise your will, 
You will use your hand over 95% of the time to do something with your hand. Your hand is really important. Your hand was not made, as the evolutionary literature says, for fighting. You know, they can't tell you how human hands evolved, but they think they want to tell you why human hands evolved. And this article was just published about a year ago, and it says this. Human hands may have evolved their unique shape in order to punch the living daylights out of competitors, a new study suggests. The ability to brutally club opponents. Wow, that's the evolutionary explanation for this, to make a tight fist, to brutally club your opponents. That's all they have to explain it in their survival of the fittest mentality. But may I suggest to you that the Lord gave you this hand for completely different reasons. Your hands are able to connect you with the world around you. They connect you to important things like lunch. And they connect you to cherished things like your scriptures. Your hands are able to connect you to other people around the world of every different type. And as that man picks up the wife, his hand's wife, he's connecting to his wife. And he doesn't care what her hand looks like. He cares who that hand is connected to. And that's how your hands are able to connect you. Your hands can connect you to yourself. As you look at yourself in the mirror and you touch yourself, your hands connect the outer part of you to the real inner part of you. They connect the outer part to your real soul. And your hands can be lifted up in a way to connect you to your great creator who made all of these things. That's what your hands were made for. Not to brutally club anybody, to connect you to the rest of the world as only human beings can do. And what you're seeing up here on the screen is something that is uniquely human. This is an operation inside a woman's womb of a tiny little baby boy who had a spinal cord defect. And the surgeon was able to operate on him inside his mother's womb, repair the spinal cord defect. And in the process of doing so, the little baby was able to stick his hand out of the womb, grab the finger of another human being, and be connected to them as human beings are able to do. You have just incredible performance. May I suggest to you, there was never a time when you were becoming human. But the Lord made you fully human, fully functional, and fully made in the image of God. And science can enable you to appreciate that, and science can enable you to worship God. How many of you now will look at your hand in a different way because of that? And how many of you, when you look at your hand, want to say, praise the Lord for this wonderful gift? It is a real gift. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much.